First Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. And we came to Timothy last week, and why it was written to two very special pastors that Paul had a heart for. It applies to every one of us. We find application for our personal lives. Now, I titled this message, How to Deal with False Prophets or False Teachers. Let's open in prayer. Father, we pray as we look at your word that you would speak to us, that you would instruct us in the way that we are to deal with whether it be false prophets or false teachers. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for your spirit that indwells us and guides us and teaches us. Give us a very sensitive conscience to you and a teachable spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. There's no verse on the screen because it just popped into my mind but in 1 John chapter 2, probably paraphrasing, it's a very powerful verse to me. And it says, you need not have a teacher. And the emphasis is you have anointing from God. You don't need a teacher. In the context of that passage, if you go back and you read it again in 1 John chapter 2, it's talking about false prophets false teachers. We've mentioned this before, that if you turn on the TV and you all of a sudden have this very uncomfortable feeling in your heart about this person speaking, what should we do? Turn it off. Turn it off. The Holy Spirit will say, something is wrong with this picture. But so often, people quench the Spirit of God God's speaking to them through their conscience, through their mind, and they continue to listen to, and I'm going to call it rubbish, things that they should not listen to, things that will lead them astray, things that will prevent them walking that straight and narrow path that leads to life. I'm not saying that, that you will lose your salvation. No, I'm not saying that. But what I am saying that you may miss the very best that God has for you. You may miss that fullness of joy that God has for you. You may miss that place of being used by God because you've chosen to go down a path that really is rubbish, that will never provide for you in any way. Well, as we come again to our Verse 3 in our text, notice what it says. As I urged you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, nor to pay attention to myths or endless genealogies which give rise to mere speculation rather than the furthering of the ministration of God which is by faith. But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart, a good conscience, a sincere faith. For some men, straying from these things, have turned aside to fruitless discussion, wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they do not understand either what they're saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. But we know the law is good if 
one uses it lawfully, realizing the fact that the law was not made for the righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly, for the sinner, for the unholy, the profane, for those who kill their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for immoral men, homosexuals, kidnappers, liars, perjurers, whatever else is contrary to sound teaching. According to the glorious gospel of the the blessed God, which you've been entrusted. False teachers teach error. In doing so, they lead people astray. You probably understand that, maybe not in a biblical sense. I pray you don't understand it in a biblical sense personally. But maybe you've had someone say, you know, this is what you need to do, and you do it this way, and you do it, and you find out everything falls apart. It's the same thing biblically. There have been so many people I've tried to open and show them what the Word of God is, and many pastors are in that same place, and people are going to believe what they want to believe. God's Word is timeless. It's applicable for you today. It tells you what's right, what's wrong, how to get right, and how to stay right. But the choice is yours. What will you do with the Word of God? What will you do when the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and say, step back? But they're really nice people, we can say. I really love the congregation. I love the worship. But if the Word of God is not being taught with the author's intent, you will be led astray. Now, it was a common problem when Paul was speaking in, in Acts chapter 20 to the elders the last time he met them, if you remember, he warned them that there are going to be false teachers, false prophets that will rise up among you. And they will draw people after themselves. In every single congregation, that happens. More so when you're seeking to hear the very heart of God. Well, let's look again at James chapter 3, verse 1. Notice what it says. Let not many of you become teachers, my brother, knowing that as such will occur. What it's saying here is, is those that are going to be teachers, there's a higher calling, and I'm going to be more accountable. More accountable than you. I need to take seriously what I say. Why I say it. That I give you the author's intent and only the author's intent. But as much as that applies to me, all of us are called to go out and make disciples. The great commission we talk about. Every one of us are called to make disciples. It may start in your family as a, a father and your kids, or a husband, and a wife. We're all called to be teachers. God's wanting to reveal more of the Word, wanting to take you deeper than you've ever been, that you can help your family, your friends, your neighbors, those in your community, grow in that love and grace of Jesus Christ. 
It shouldn't be fearful. Say, well, I don't want to be a teacher. But to take it seriously. Well, some look at this verse and they don't even pay attention to it. And they just want to draw people after themselves. Where the focus is upon them only. Some might say, well, God wants you to be rich. Now, you, if you want to receive, you have to give and, and you'll receive more. The more you give, the more you get. One gal told me one time in the congregation, she went to a church like that and, and she looked in the parking lot and everybody's car was all broken down except for the pastor's car. Look at the fruit. The fruit should be that we're growing in that love and grace of Jesus Christ. Those that are pastors or teachers or the husband who is teaching or the one that's discipling, why it's a responsibility, it's the greatest joy to see people grow. And we should take it seriously to bring them to the truth. See, those that he's speaking about, they were not concerned about truly learning the law or knowing the God of that law or serving the people in love by the law. See, this was part of the intent of the law. No. Their desire was, uh, appeared to be driven, driven by prestige courted rabbis, sought to have attention to them, wanting just to be the focus. The focus should be him in the word, in the worship. Not only did Jesus identify with the interesting these teachers of the law and the Pharisees as false teachers. He identified them, those that were leading the flock, these false shepherds and the Pharisees and the scribes. He identified them as false teachers. Just as those were in Judaism, they're in the church today. They have agenda. They have a motive and the motive is not love, and we're going to see what that motive always should be, what the goal should be in our text today. He condemned these false teachers, opposed the Jewish legalism and hypocrisy. Matthew 7, 7 says this, But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. It's interesting they had come to a point that they found a way to get around the law. If you would go to Israel today and, and you were there on Shabbat, Shabbat begins, or Sabbath, it begins about 3 o'clock in the afternoon until the next day, the same time. In order to keep the Sabbath, you would go into a hotel and, and you're on the ninth floor. If you push the button... You've worked, you've created fire. So in order not to break that law, what they do is they have the elevators, they switch over before Sabbath. The elevator would go all the way to the 16th floor, 15th floor, 14th, 
13th, eventually it would come to your floor. You don't have to touch anything. The door's open. You don't have to touch anything, and you walk out. They find a way to get around the law, to adjust the law to their own purposes. That's what these teachers are doing, something along the lines of this. Acts 20, as I mentioned, verse 29 and 30, notice what it says. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves men will rise. Speaking, notice, perverse things, and to draw away the disciples after themselves. The goal should always be to make disciples, but disciples of Christ. The goal should be to teach people to be Berean, to examine, to see if it's so. To dialogue and say, well, I heard what you said, but why did you say that? Help me understand. And it should be able to be explained, and it should be answered always in the text. But some have come to the point that say, don't touch God's anointed. And they protect themselves. They appeared in full force. They compromise. Timothy's was Timothy's main problem. They, they, they were so plentiful at this time. It's interesting, Timothy didn't want to stay in Ephesus. He didn't want to deal with them. A young man didn't want to confront them, didn't want to confront the older man. But it doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are if you simply go with the Word of God and you take and bring the author's intent. Timothy was raised up. Paul had discipled him and taught him. There was no one we saw that had a heart like Timothy did who loved and cared for the people, wanted to nurture them like Paul did. Paul knew that he could trust him and leave him, but he, he said, no, I, I, I can't. He didn't want to confront the people. And Paul had to exhort him to, to be bold in the, in the faith. It seemed that they had been the same type of false teachers in the book of Titus. Titus would have to deal with them. The same type of teachers were at that time, again, are here today. Well, I'm not saying in this church, but in the body of Christ. You can turn on the radio station and you can hear one teacher teaching one thing and another one totally opposed to what this one is taught. Those that are on that radio station that make those decisions can be accountable for what they put on that radio station. A confusing message is going out to the body of Christ today. People are saying, how can I believe this? I don't know what's true. In fact, I can't believe the Bible was written by man and it's created all kinds of problems. Paul's saying, the buck's going to stop at you. You're going to bring the word, and I'm urging you to do that. To do that right thing. Twice in 1 Timothy, there's a list that included advice dealing with these false teachers. First, it's in 
here from verse 3 through 11, and then later on it's going to be in 9 and 10, and then chapter 6 and verses 4 and 5 because they're prevalent. They're everywhere. And only when you are in the Word, reading the Word, listening to the Word, praying over the Word, asking God to speak to you, will you have that discernment and that open conscience to hear God, to recognize this is the Word of God. God is speaking, and when we pray for this service, we pray, and I pray at home the same thing, that God, that you would speak through me, that they would not hear me, that they would hear it's your Word. It's your heart to protect them. That's what a a shepherd is for. That's what a a father, a mother is to, to protect their kids. To guide them in all truth. Ignatius said the false teachers within posed a greater threat than the pagan society around. The greatest danger today still is is the false teachers within the body of Christ. It's not the government. It's the false teachers within the church. Watering down the gospel, saying God really didn't mean that. Approving the things that God said, this is sin. By the way, there's only one thing that will ever keep anybody out of heaven. We understand that, don't we? It's called the blasphemy of the Spirit. No, it's not taking the Lord's name in vain. It's the continual rejection of Jesus Christ being Lord and Savior, rejecting Him. That's the only thing. It's not based upon works. It's based upon a relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, let's look at the error of these false teachers. And we see again in verse 3, we see Timothy's struggle. As I urged you upon my departure from Macedonia to remain on Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, nor to pay attention to myths endless genealogies to give rise to mere speculation rather than the furthering of the ministration of God which is in faith. See, Timothy was to to remain in Ephesus to deal with these false teachers. If you were reading the book of Revelation, you soon realize that the book of Ephesus, I mean the the book of Revelation in chapter 2, the church of Ephesus was the first church. And this is important to understand that, that Jesus speaks about one of the seven churches. They had their doctrine right, but they had left their first love. Now, they're here off in that, again, that doctrine that's being taught in here. He's to exhort them. But here's what happens when people begin to start taking the law and putting the law or sometimes so much emphasis on just the doctrine, they leave that first love. We're going to see the purpose of the law is to bring us only to Christ. And the law that you and I are under is, is the law of what? Love. love. That's the motivation to do the right thing. And that's important to understand. So Timothy is urged to stay. And, and the word actually means to, again, to beg, beseech, to entreat. In a sense, Timothy's shaken. I don't want to deal with this. 
And there's things in my life that I don't want to deal with with people. There's things in your life you don't want to deal with people. But we have a responsibility to bring the truth to those that need to hear it. Whether they respond in a good way or not, it's our responsibility. If we love them, we must bring the truth. You cannot let somebody just continue to go off astray and not say something to them. You cannot continually let those false teachers, again, just lead people astray. I mentioned I heard this, and I practice it when possible. They mark my house. They don't come anymore. But the Jehovah Witnesses would knock upon the house door. We would discuss very quickly. We're in disagreement. And they would leave. And I said, wait a second. I'm going to go with you. And we go to the, as they go to the next door and they begin to say that, and, be, and I'm just standing there quietly. I said, that isn't what the Bible says. Let me show you what the Bible says. Now, I don't know my neighbor, but if I love my neighbor, and I'm supposed to love my neighbor, right? I'm not going to let them bring something that's untruth. I'm going to go with them. And they say something else. Oh, let's look at that closely. Now, would you read it to them and give them my phone? And they say it means that, no, read it again. Read it again. After the second one we go to, they leave the property and they look to see if my car's there. We cannot continue to let these false teachers teach things that are not true. That doesn't mean we need to yell and scream, but we need to protect our family, our friends. This is our family. This is our Ohana. But it doesn't stop here. That's every church, every other brother and sister that's in the body of Christ. And if you hear them being taught something and, and you ask them questions, just simply open the word. Deal with the doctrine. You don't have to attack the character of the person. Learn the Word of God. Make notes in your Bible. There's a, there's a writing I read one time, and it said something about, there's, if the book is not worth writing, it's not worth reading. And you make your notes, and this is great, and this is for this. And some people say, well, oh, the Bible's too holy to write it. I, I don't think so. Because the things that I write in it are things that build me up encouragement. They're things that help me focus in on what's important, that I can share what's important. And Timothy needed to remain. Paul simply pleads with him. Now, Timothy was a, a true child of faith, meaning that Paul had led him to the Lord, and that was important to understand. He was a child of God, but that doesn't mean that he's immune to attack from the enemy. Do we all understand what it is to be under spiritual attack? Anyone here? Sometimes it comes in the form of depression. Sometimes it just comes where people just attack you. Things go wrong with you. And God allows it. And it's good that these things happen because God uses us to build us up in our holy faith. To realize that he is the keeper of our soul. He is working in our lives. The storms that come. Sometimes they're storms of protection. 
Sometimes there's storms of just building our faith. Timothy's going through one of those storms. He's not a, immune to these attacks. He's fearful of it. 2 Timothy 1.7 says this, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. I know in my own personal life, when I begin to speak the very first time, I was very nervous. I was shaking. You, you know, I had big pants, so you didn't see my legs shaking within the pants. Why me, Lord? Why me? Well, that me is every one of us here in some capacity. He's called you to stand in the gap, to stand in love, in our community, our family, and friends, no matter how they respond, to open the word with them to bring the truth. The reason, again, this is written, and we'll talk more about this, and we're going to see several things like this, is, is Timothy was intimidated. I think all of us get intimidated easy. People think you're real bold, and, you know, you never get intimidated. No, that's not true. You ever get an IRS bill or just a letter? Boy, I get intimidated real quickly. Or something that you put off again and again and again, and, and and, and God wants us to be bold in love, to know that all things are in his control. God, if he's called you, he will equip you. If God's called you, God will enable you. You can do all things in Christ who strengthens you. That means not that you can be a baseball player if that's not what he's called you to. But it means you can be that godly husband, that godly wife, that pastor, that elder, that deacon. Within this congregation, I believe that there are people that God's calling to be an elder. We'll talk about that when we get to 1 Timothy chapter 3. It, it doesn't mean the one has to be bold, to be nasty, to loves to confront. No, it's just a man of the word. A man that is willing to stand in the gap. And, and this is what he's calling Timothy, to stand in the gap. You need to do the right thing, Timothy. I know you have a love for them. I know you have a love for God. Don't let your fears overwhelm you. I don't know if I sent this one out to everyone this week. I, I read a, a nice little thing, clip, yesterday afternoon. Something along this line that there are only two inherent fears in life. The first one is falling. I forget the second one. No. <laughs> but two fears, that's the point I want to make. One is falling. And this will change depending on who you're speaking to. And sometimes it's speaking before others. But in a survey done of people, in a setting of over 500 people, they found 600 or 6,998 other fears that people have just assimilated in their life. Things that they should not even worry about. Falling is natural. For some, it may be death, but they believe there's only two. And we add all these other things in, 
God has not appointed you a spirit of timidity. If he's called you, he will enable you. Boy, what is that a wake-up call for me when somebody, another, man, I had read it, another pastor had to point this to me. What does this say? Would you read that again? Read it one more time. How does this apply to you? Sometimes that's all we need to do is bring the Word of God. Bring the truth, and the Spirit of God is the one that's going to open up their hearts and show them what they need to do. Well, Timothy probably felt inadequate, just like us, feeling inadequate to, to share the gospel. But if God calls you, God will enable you. There were leaders in the church. There were, they're more qualified. No. Because Timothy had the heart for God and a heart for the people. Being an elder at that time meant that you'd be willing to lay down your life. A leader of the church. It was a good thing in First Timothy you say. If a man chose the office of elder, willing to be the first persecuted. It's a responsibility. But the husbands I know, they would lay down their lives for their wives, for their children. Why not your brothers and sisters around you? The Bible's very clear. There's no greater love than one who would lay down his life for another. 1 Timothy 4.12 says this, Let no one look down upon your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, purity, show yourself as an example of those who believe. You know, when you're living that life, then people are more willing to listen to you. Even if they disagree with you, they have a hard time saying anything when they see this in your life. This is Christianity 101. This is where the rubber meets the road. If you choose to live this life, this is the life that he's called us to live, you will be persecuted. You will be mocked. You will be put in a, a position of ministry that you never planned to be. Verse 3 says, instruct certain men. I like this. Notice it says certain men not to teach strange doctrines. He's instructed to deal with these men. Later on, in verse 20, he will name two of them. Notice with me in your text. Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I've handed over to Satan, so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. Now, these two men must be the, the sinner, the ones that are sending out, the ones that are stirring all the problems. These aren't people that are just in air. They're beyond air. These people are deceivers. Notice they've been handed over to Satan, committed to Satan. We see a similar thing in 1 Corinthians when a man has his, a young man has his father's wife. Turn him over to Satan so his soul would be saved. Remove, step back from the crowd. We talked about church discipline just recently, and, and these things are done. And this is what Paul's saying. You know, you've you got to deal with him. These are possibly the, the ringleaders. The main one, the root, where it's coming from. 
Titus 1.11 says this, who must be silenced because they're upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sorbid gain. See, this is what false teaching does. It divides. It hurts. It crushes people. It may seem fine in the very beginning, but it robs God of His glory. It robs you of grace. Titus, dealing with these same problems, says, you know, Paul's saying they must be silenced. They must be stopped. Uh, there's a time if that ever happens, and we've done it where we walk them right out to the door. In verse 3 of our text, there's a certain word that applies uh, uh, to the false teachers. They were few in number, but, but there were these. They were, had, had come in. They were among or raised up. We don't know exactly, but their influence was great. It's in Galatians 5, 9. Notice what it says, a little leaven. Again, leavens the whole lump of dough. If you don't deal with this sin, it's going to spread through the whole body. You must deal with it quickly when it's recognized because it will infect. We already mentioned it in Acts chapter 20, verse 30. It says, from among your own selves, men will rise, speaking perverse things. What were those things that they were not to teach? Well, first of all, it says in our text that they were strange doctrines. They were maybe strange fire. That, that idea, that strange doctrine was coined by Paul. Pastors are real good at making up words. And, and that's what appears he does here. But that word, it, it means a, a doctrine of a, another kind, a teaching. Doctrine is teaching. A teaching of another kind. It was inconsistent with what they were teaching. It was inconsistent with Acts chapter 2, verse 42. When the church was formed, when they continued in the, the apostles' doctrine, prayer, breaking of bread, fellowship of the saints. It consisted, with, we're going to see in our text, in myths and endless genealogies, legends, fanciful stories. There's the, the book of Enoch, a lot of people are reading in several different ones, and, and that's one of the ones you, I think the flat earth story comes from, and all these different things, and people get caught up in all these things. And they never claim to be the Word of God. And they're teaching things that they ought not teach. First Timothy 4.1 says this, but the Spirit explicitly says, in latter times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention, notice, to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Confronted many people before, and they said, well, but it's so exciting. There's a lot of things that are exciting, but you shouldn't watch. Our flesh loves to be entertained, but it's not always good. It doesn't edify. First Timothy 4.3 says this, Men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in those who believe and know the truth. There was a teacher when I first got saved I was listening to, and Boy, he had a doctrine, and, and it's like the Holy Spirit said, don't listen to this. He started with the doctrine of the creation of Adam and Eve and, and, and 
woman was taken out of man. He went, where in the heck? It had nothing about godliness. Nothing about, you know, Jesus coming again. He spent all of his time teaching upon that thing. 1 Timothy 6.4 speaks about this kind of doctrine again. He is conceited and understands nothing, but he has morbid interest in, in controversial questions, disputes about words, out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, and evil suspicions. How many know Genesis chapter 6? Many young guys that are on fire, and the angels, forgive me, had sex with the women. Doesn't say it that way. But it becomes a whole doctrine where these young guys and this church are at, and the pastor said, let's move on. Because what he's saying, these things will not help you grow in your faith. We, we may have opinions about these things. But it's all about Jesus. It's all about walking in his love. It's all about knowing him. It's all about knowing that he could come back at any time. Again, what you'd see is the, the, the fruit of this false teaching. It's envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions. You ever have anybody you say something to them, well, what did you really mean? And they have some deeper kind of thing they want to draw out of it. It's not even what the Scripture is teaching. It's inconsistent. And that's where they stay. 2 Timothy 2.14, remind them of these things, solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words which are useless and leads to the ruin of hearers. But yet so many people hang on to these kind of things because they're exciting. When they say it that way, it grieves my heart and should grieve your heart. They're saying, Jesus is not enough. Let me ask you the question, is Jesus enough? Well, next year we're planning a prophecy conference. And prophecy is roughly a, a third of the Bible. We shouldn't just live in prophecy, meaning that that should be our only thing. And sometimes people are so focused upon prophecy, their family is falling apart. They're no longer a good worker, a good witness. It's all about prophecy. It's all about Jesus is what the Bible says. The teaching is simply, it's worldly. It's empty chatter. Further ungodliness. It was spreading like gangrene or cancer. It was leading people from straying from the truth and that alone should be the motivation for Timothy to want to say enough is enough. Paul, I will stay. But yet, it, it's hard. It's hard because we, we don't want to say something that offends somebody, but if you don't say it and they need to hear it, you can't say you love them. 2 Timothy 2.23, but refuse foolish, ignorant speculations knowing they produce quarrels. Don't go there if they don't want to talk. 
recognize that sometimes people are not going to hear the truth and there's nothing you can do but pray for them. Love them, pray for them. Be a living example. Be a living stone before them. 2 Timothy 2.15 says this, Be diligent to present yourself, approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, but accurately handling the word of truth. If you're staying in the word, you're reading the word, you're, you're staying in the study, you're going to be learning the very heart of God. You're going to realize that when we go from book to book, the message is all the same, but it, it's going to come in different ways, different people. It's all about God. Their false teaching gave rise to mere speculation, furthering, not furthering the ministration of God that is by faith. You know, there's a lot of things in, in this book I just don't understand. Do you guys struggle with that sometimes? But see, that's not the problem. Please understand, that's not the problem. The problem is what you do know. Are you doing it? That's what we need to do is what the Scripture says. They're worried about what they don't know. What about what you do know? Are you doing it? That's what we're called to do, to live this life in such a way that it brings glory to Jesus Christ. Now, this idea of, of furthering the ministration of God, which is by faith, is, it, it simply refers to God's saving plan. What, what's it have to do with saving people? Living the, the Christian life. Bringing the gospel. Or some legalistic works righteousness. Galatians Chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, notice this says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what has been preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching you a gospel contrary to what you receive, he is to be accursed. It's very important that it's the gospel that we bring. How do we live the gospel sometimes is what we're talking about. How does that look in our lives? Well, look with me in verse 5. We see the goal of these false teachers. No. The goal of teachers, verse 5, it says the goal of our instruction, Paul's saying, is love from a pure heart, a good conscience, a sincere faith. For such men stray from these things have turned aside to fruitless discussion. So there is this goal of the false teachers and there's this goal, again, of godly men and godly women. John 13, 35 says this, By this you'll know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Again, I, I think I mentioned this before. When you wake up in the morning, a great prayer is, Lord, who can I love today? Who are you going to put in my life that I can just really love, minister to, encourage, hang out with, listen? And then listen for God to speak. Listen for God to show you who. Watch to see who he brings in your life, and he will. First John 4, 7 and 8 says this, Beloved, let let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. 
Now the word that's being used here is the word agape. It's a love of choice. It's a free will. That you will to love someone. It involves self-denial. Self-sacrifice. This kind of love only flows, again, from a pure heart. A good conscience. A sincere faith. You can hinder this kind of love by not confessing your sins. Because that, that sin will hinder you. You have to recognize, Lord, I was wrong. I sinned. And let God change your heart. When you're right with God, then naturally, out of that loving heart, these things will flow and they'll be right. Well, what does it mean to have a pure heart? They, they're to flow out of a, a pure heart. You've probably known somebody you said has a pure heart. Well, after the, the sin of David with Bathsheba, he cried out in Psalm 51.10, Creating me a clean heart, O God. And Psalm 73.1 exclaimed, Surely God is good to Israel and to those who are pure in heart. Boy, that's another thing that we should be praying for. God, give me a pure heart. Titus 3.5, it, it is the heart that is washed in regeneration. Have you been born again today? Because if you've been born again, your, your heart has been washed, it's been cleansed, and you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to cleanse you of all unrighteousness, and this is very important. It's only then to, are we going to serve him, and our motive, it, it comes out of this, this pure heart, a loving heart. Romans 6.17 tells us it's also obedient heart. When God speaks, we follow. Again, Romans 2, 14 and 15, we're told that the conscience is, is God's created self-judging faculty of man. It either affirm or it accuse a person. Let me read Romans 2, 14 and 15. For when the Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these not having a law are a law to themselves in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness, their thoughts alternately accusing and defending themselves. What it's kind of describing is there are, there are people in this world that seem to have a pure heart and they do not even know Jesus Christ. He's saying the law is written upon their hearts. It's evident. Now, they do not know Jesus Christ, but that same thing he's talking about them is it's supposed to be in the believer's heart and a person either quenches that or stays sensitive. And we need to pray, God, give me a sensitive heart to you. The mind that knows right, the mind that knows wrong. And not let your heart be violated. Acts 24, 16 says this, in view of this, I also do my best to maintain always a blameless and conscience both before God and man. In simplicity, it means when you've sinned against somebody, you, every one of us here sinned to somebody, is go to that person and say, I was wrong. I'm sorry, Mike. What can I do to make it right between you and me when I've sinned against you? Boy, that goes a long way in a marriage, doesn't it? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Your kids come up and say, Mom, I was wrong. 
But that's the heart that we need to cultivate in our lives, but we help cultivate in our kids, in our friends, and we model it to a world that needs to see what that looks like. Finally, love comes from a sincere heart, one without any pretense. You ever have Mr. Nasty around you and all of a sudden he's nice to you? And you wonder, hey, oh, what's up? What do you want? <laughs> Are the kids, do they, they've been a bad all day and all of a sudden, oh, mommy. <laughs> you know, they want some. No, we're not to be like that. We're to have no pretense. You love because of love. That's the kind of love, is always being there for somebody, even when they don't make the same choices as yourself. You're not going to make the same choices. I'm going to teach the Word. You're going to have to learn to make mistakes on your own. I'm still making mistakes on my own and learning. And my God, He didn't say, oh, I told you so. But He's faithful and just to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Father, thank you for your word. And God, we pray that you'd help us to really follow your word. Help us to, to be con simply content with you, Lord. Help us to, to recognize that you've given us that, that capacity to discern what is of you and what is not of you and recognize those false teachers as we look more about them next week, how to deal with them. Today you've helped us recognize the importance of the fruit in the life of the, of, of the person teaching, but also in our own lives because, Lord, if, if a person's sitting under the false teaching, we recognize the fruit is going to be different. We want the fruit of love, a pure heart, clear conscience, Lord. We want to honor you. Because, Lord, you are worthy of all honor and all glory.